Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? How are you? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. You know, it's um sad. Sad day. As I tell you this, I, I learned... I learned that Bill Paxton, uh, the actor, passed away because of complications uh, during a surgery. And the guy was just here. He was just here. He was sitting across from me in the empty chair that I'm looking at right now, just a few weeks ago. It was episode 783. It, it was just a couple weeks ago. He was, he was right there, full of life. I was so excited to talk to that guy. I didn't, I didn't know him, but I was, I, sometimes I get very excited to talk to people in here because I love him. I love his work. I love all his work. Seemed like a, like an intense, great guy. And he was, he's a very gracious, giving, lit up human being over there. Just sitting there excited to be here. I was excited to talk to him and now he's, he just, he's gone. Life is so fucking fragile. You just don't know what's going to happen. And it's just, it's just, it's tragic. But I tell you, I'm glad I had that time with him. Like so many of the people in here, like all I'm looking for is to connect with a, a human being. And that guy was just full on force of nature, human being. Grounded, decent, excited, passionate, talented guy that we all know from all the movies. It's just fucking awful. It's, it's just so sad. But that life is just so horribly surprising sometimes. And I'm in, I'm, I'm in shock and I just, I, I barely knew the guy. I had one conversation with him. I shared it with you guys, and it was amazing. I was, I, you know, I was hoping to see see him again, see more of his work, but he's gone. Passed away. And 
It's funny because he, he, when he was in here, you know, he said, no matter how many movies I make, weird science is going to be the first thing in my obituary. He said that sitting right there in that empty chair across from me. There's a lot of empty chairs everywhere, folks. It's part of being human. But it is funny, though, because, you know, there's really nothing wrong with being known for playing a funny role that, that, that made an impression on so many young people, you know, as a movie that they never forgot because of Bill Paxton. But the first line in pretty much all the obituaries I saw was how Bill Paxton was a versatile and generous actor and almost everyone who has paid tribute to him that I looked at. Uh, talks about what a kind and friendly person he was. God damn it, just two weeks ago. Life is so fucking fragile and surprising and incomprehensible at sometimes. Many of us have been feeling this, you know, for weeks now. Maybe for years for different reasons. And then the sadness deepens when things get close. And he was right there in that chair. It's been a few people have sat there that are no longer with us. And when I really think about it, it's it's brutal. It's a brutal fucking reality of, of life. But man, am I glad I got a chance to talk to these people. It was just great to get to know him as a person. We always got to remember that there are people in front of us. That if you go outside or you spend time at work or wherever you go, see those people see them get out of your head see the people it's very important now to see people to engage empathy to connect as human beings who want to live good lives free lives and do what they want with their life in comfort, safety, you know, I don't know. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I, it makes me, I'm just, uh, I'm lost in a certain swirl of, uh, of, of sadness at the fragility of life. And that's understandable. And, uh, uh, my, uh, condolences and heart go out to, uh, Bill's friends and family. And it's just, uh, it's just horrible. Uh, I guess out of the gate here, I should tell you that, um, yeah, my guest today, Raul Peck, is the director of the film I Am Not Your Negro. It is a powerful documentary about James Baldwin, and I had to watch it two times because it is so deep, so moving, and so powerful, both in words and actions, and the scope of what the conversation is in the film and the one I'm about to have about the film that uh, I, I just, it's, it's an amazing movie. I was excited that uh, Raul Peck could be here. And I was just looking at uh, quotes from Mr. Baldwin online here. And one of them is, I love America more than any other country in this world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. 
It's important. It's important to uh, keep that in your head. But uh, other things. I guess I should tell you about this. June 1st, if you're in New York City or the surrounding areas, you might want to think about going to this year's Book Expo because I will be there to conduct a conversation in front of a live audience with my old Air America co-worker, Senator Al Franken. You can go to bookexpoamerica.com to get tickets. If you're not seeing the full book expo across both days, you can get a single-day pass. Just remember my event with Senator Franken will be on Thursday, June 1st. It'll be fun. I really am excited. I, I get a kick out of Al. Uh, the senator, he has a, has a new book coming out called Al Franken, Giant of the Senate. So we'll have... Uh, have a lot to talk about, not only about you know his SNL days, but also about being a United States senator. And one with a great deal of spunk these days, thank God. And incidentally, I guess I should tell you that I also have a book coming out later this year. Well, I should say we have a book. Uh, it doesn't come out until October, but I can tell you a little bit about it now. It's called Waiting for the Punch, Words to Live By from the WTF Podcast. And I'll, I'll tell you this, people, when uh, my producer and I started on this more than two years ago, uh, we did not know what it would be like. I don't think we could have ever imagined what an amazing thing it is when, you know, like I, it's like it is really without question the best possible book to come out of doing this show. It's, a, it's like it's like this. It's an amazing thing to hold in your hands and experience. I know that sounds like hype. But we're both really proud of this thing, and, and, I, and I think it's a special thing because, like, to be honest with you, once I have these conversations in here, you know, that's it for me. And, and reading this thing through and seeing how things that are said in connection with another human being, with someone there to bear witness and hold the space and feel what you're saying and to read it is like, it's unlike reading anything else. And I could not believe how fulfilling it was and again it's not hype we're just we're just very proud i'll tell you more about it when we start the pre-sale but get excited it's going to be something you'll definitely love comes out in october it's a long ways away and god willing we'll all be here and still able to buy books <laughs> it's, am i being am i being uh dark my guest today raul peck made the film I Am Not Your Negro. It is a documentary about James Baldwin. Now, I felt a little insecure, I guess, or not maybe not insecure, but a little ig ignorant, maybe is a better word, uh, in that just about six months ago or so, I saw footage of James Baldwin uh, debating William Buckley at Oxford in England. I had not read James Baldwin's work, and, and I have not read much of it, um, very little. And after watching that piece of that debate, I was blown away at the level of humanity and intellect and the depth of it all that that man had. And I was very fucking moved. I had to watch it two or three times. And then when I got a screener of this film and watched it, I had to watch it twice. The depth of his intelligence and again, his humanity is just profound and not unlike anything else. Cultural criticism, film criticism, uh, political criticism. But the movie is really moving through uh, this book that he never finished, that he wanted to write about his three friends, seeing you know the, his life and the struggle of, 
of America and race through the deaths of uh, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Medgar Evers. And it had a lot of footage of Baldwin, like on the Dick Cavett show, on talk shows, some footage of that um, debate that I saw. It had bits and pieces of films, and it was all uh, from his, his words, sort of assessing the racial predicament and i i felt a little out of my league to talk to mr peck about this but i i i just copped to that and because the movie had such a profound effect on me and and it was so disturbing really uh how, how little has changed on some level in a very deep way and you, you know what what really kind of struck me and you'll listen to the interview it's just that it's again about seeing other people with some form of compassion if you are not blinded by anger one way or the other and you are not you know reacting to something that your head is generating you know it's very hard now you, know, you theoretically you're supposed to have some control over what you let into your mind what you let into your head and a lot of times we prefer things that substantiate our points of view that make us feel better that uh you know uh, you know that seem right and a lot of times it's not on all sides but it's become very hard to filter and because of that i think that a lot of what you are reacting to most people in general or hating or loving or whatever is is in your head it is not in reality it may have some point of reference in reality but it is not it is in your head and you got to separate that man because i think what we're losing is our ability to see each other as people and we you know it's we can't we just can't fucking afford to lose that in any way and I talk about that a bit with uh, Mr. Peck and about, you know, a lot of other things. But I'll tell you, that movie is is powerful and it, it needs to be seen a couple of times. So I, I actually watched a bit of the Oscars last night to see if my, uh, my guest's uh, film was going to take Best Documentary, but that went to the OJ movie, which was also a great film. But uh, I Am Not Your Negro it stands alone as something... It's really an amazing, uh, an amazing document of an amazing person, amazing mind, and a profoundly uh, deep understanding and bringing together of a lot of ideas that are that are, that are frankly horrifying, but real, and uh, it provides a lot of um, insight into exactly the human dynamics of those forces. So uh, it was, it's, it was a great pleasure to talk to my guest, the uh, director of, uh, I am not your Negro, Raul Peck. So, uh, 
Join us now. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. How's it going? This is exciting. You're running around. You're an Oscar oh, nominee. Like, I can't even, you know, where I am and where I'm going, where I'll be in one hour. <laughs> is, it, so. is it exciting? Is it... Uh, well, yes. You know, as a filmmaker, you know, when especially when you spent 10 years of your life making a film, uh, a complicated film that you don't even know if artistically it can it can work. Yeah, you know. To and so having survived that, and and then you have such a great acclaim that you know you see how the film is changing people. You know the discussion after the movie. You know not only uh, during Q and A, but after yeah. Q and A, people stay in the room or in the lobby or in the parking yeah. lot, and they have discussion. And then they come back to with, you. Yeah, no, they come back yeah. with their family, their friends. They organize groups to go to see the film together, just to be in that ambience again, in that atmosphere. It's in, in, incredible. Well, so. I, 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 it's like for me, uh, you know, I watched it and then and then I watched it again because the depth of of James Baldwin as a as a thinker is is beyond anything I've ever seen before, and you know, I got I get nervous. Because, you know, there is, you know, as a white guy, you know, watching this movie and then having the opportunity to talk to you, there, there's part of me that thinks like, I'm not qualified. <laughs> well, that's the contrary, because Baldwin talks to everybody. Right. right. It's not about who you are. It's, it's, it's who you are as a human being. Right. And he confronts you with that. Exactly. You know, your responsibility is as a human being, not as a white person, as a black person. Right. We each have or duty or responsibility and he's telling all of us to all of us you better face it you need to respond to whatever is happening in this country that, and I get that, you know, but the, the interesting thing for me is a guy who's a, you know, liberal guy, who's a guy who you know, is thoughtful, I've, I've read a few books, that there was a, a feeling of like, you know, somehow I'm complicit. Yes, of course. You know, it was something that, that did wake something up. You know, you yeah. take a lot of things for granted. Yeah. Well, it, it's like, uh, you know, the way I see it is like you are, you have this great teacher of yeah. yours, you know, who knew you since you were 10. Mm -hmm. and, and then one day he sat you down and said, listen, I'm going to talk to you. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, you know, this is life and this, this is what you've been uh, going through. And there are some stuff that you need to face. Yeah, and the way he said it in a very, it's not antagonistic. It's not uh, with with hate or with uh, 
anger or the anger is the anger of somebody who who have gone through so much yeah. and and wants to let it out but he's not aggressing you he's you know and that's very rare you yeah know? and also and so you listen to that voice of course and you listen to it and and y- you know he speaks because the footage you have of him uh you, you know there's there's dick cavett footage where you know in a conversation and then there's some other uh, talk show footage uh and then you have um samuel jackson doing an amazing uh, james baldwin incredible yes i he, he, because J- samuel jackson has such a distinct voice that I didn't realize it was him both times. Well, that, that's the same. P- people have now a sort of cliche, uh, I would say a Tarantino-esque uh, Idea image of, of, of uh, Samuel Jackson. And he's uh, much more than that. He's an incredible actor. He's, well, he was a stage actor. Yeah. So he's, he's somebody who learned his skills. Sure. Uh, who's uh, incredibly talented and can do anything. Yeah. And, and the way, you know, I didn't have to give him too much direction it was just the only thing i could tell him you know you need to be the voice yeah you know uh, i don't i do not want any distance between you and these words you know we are inside james baldwin head right so you need to feel the emotion you f- need to feel the tragic you need to feel the irony you need to feel the and joy. he did and exactly so he, it, it's a performance yeah and it's, now is all the like is all the the narration Taken from uh, uh, from the you know the the manuscript of it's called that. Remember this house? Yes. Well, it's it's more complicated than that. The 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 also notes, the letter to the editor. Yeah, exactly. There are, there are a few uh, documents that were handed to me by Gloria Carifas Mart, who's James Baldwin's sister, uh, and who's uh, running the estate. Yeah. And 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 four years into the process, where I I was still struggling about what is the the right organic approach to make this film yeah. because i had access to everything published unpublished to the estate uh, uh, from the estate yeah. they gave me really that's unprecedented yeah. never happened before in the film industry well let me ask you a question from that point there that you know your credentials are are deep uh, you know you've been involved with film for for decades you have a production company uh, which I, I i i read about but you know where do you come from <laughs> because you know clearly you know it's not a, 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 an american accent or whatever yes. uh, no i yeah i have a, a complicated but a complex life i'm i'm haitian i'm, yeah. I'm born in haiti uh my parents left uh, uh to go work in the congo to I've, flee did they flee they fl- my father was arrested twice and and by papa your, doc by the yeah by yeah. the regime yeah uh, he lost his job he was a, a professor at the faculty of agronomy in, why was in he Port- pr- arrested well, you didn't have to do much in a dictatorship to be arrested. Yeah. You know, he was not really uh, politically implicated. It's just, you know, you because you didn't campaign for, for the dictator, and so you are taken as an enemy. By the way, we are seeing that today yeah. in the U.S. administration. Yeah. If you don't agree, you, you have to leave. Yeah. So imagine what it is in a, in a country that, you know, going through a dictatorship. Yeah. So he, he just you know knew that he had to leave yeah and at the same time the un came to haiti and had fought 400 contracts for haitian doctors engineers and professors to go work in the congo because uh, congo was newly independent and the belgian who had you know 
kept everything under their hands, never trained Congolese to be able to rule their country. Right. So they had to do that like in, in uh, an urgency measure. So yeah. they came to Haiti because Haiti is, you know, one of the few black countries who had an elite, who had, you know, people fully trained and who spoke French as well. And so they recruit a lot of the my father's generation. And you made a feature film about... And I, I made a film about Lumumba, who yeah. was the first prime minister of Congo assassinated by the CIA, the French, and, and some other... the Belgian. So, uh, so Congo was a very important place for me. It was my first link to the continent, and I went to school there. Uh, after a few years, we had to be evacuated to New York because there was uh, some political problems. And so I went to, to, to school in Brooklyn, in a public school in, in Brooklyn, near yeah. Flatbush Avenue and Nostrand Avenue. And so that was my first, you know, really uh, experience in the United States, in this country. So that's when we applied for, for residency because we didn't know, you know, we, we knew we couldn't go back to Haiti. That's the only thing. Because don't forget, the dictatorship lasted until 1986. Mm -hmm. you know, until I was an adult uh, after my studies. So, Do you remember, because like, certainly part of this film, uh, I'm Not Your Negro, is there... There's a there is a sense of terror underneath it, in some you know in very real way that you know, there is a sense of violence and terror and and um, you know a horrendous sep you know separation of people. Do you remember that from your childhood? Um, well, there, there was several type of terror. There was the terror of of roadblocks in Haiti. You know, I remember the first time. My father was arrested, and we just knew because he didn't come home. And my father, my mother, took me in the car. I was the only child at the time. Yeah. I have now two more brothers. But at the time, I was the, the youngest, uh, the first child. And I remember being in the back of that car. It was night and roadblocks. And, and my mother going everywhere. And, and there was a you know, curfew. You know, she was not supposed to be on the street. And yeah. That, uh, you know, it was uh, nine o'clock in the evening. Yeah. And and it was a very strange, you know, confrontation with, with terror because, you know, at those roadblocks, they could just decide, you know, to shoot or to arrest you or, you know, to do whatever they want. There, there was, you know, there was no rules. Yeah. And, um, and incredibly enough, when we went to Congo, we had the, the same kind of roadblocks as well in, in you know, time of, of uh, really uh, big uh, political uh, um, confrontations. Yeah. And so, and when I went to Brooklyn, it was a, a time where, you know, you could get mug in, in the streets. Yeah. So I felt like I grew up always in knowing what violence was and what, uh, you know, um, how to, arbitrary yes. was. And I think that, had a profound influence on, on me and my work you know if you know the list of my films in every film there is this notion of you know uh, people owning your life and uh, in a very arbitrary way and de deciding ob uh, uh, about your you know being killed or not and this is a sense that i always kept with me you know even in germany where i studied later on I think there was not one single day I didn't think about the Holocaust. 
you know, that, you know, Germany being an incredible uh, country, you know, who produced the best brand of the of this century, you yeah. know, from, uh, you know, Einstein to mm-hmm. to the best, you know, composer yeah. of, you know, Wagner and yeah. uh, all the others, great thinker. And that same country was uh, able to produce uh, that kind of monstrosity that the Nazi regime was, you know, and it, it's, uh, so it, those elements always kept me alive throughout my life. And, and that's where I, I, rejoin Baldwin at some way you know he has a a, a quote and and I'm very bad at quote but uh, it's he said you know I you know every human being is an incredible miracle and I learned to to love the miracle they are but also to protect myself from the monster they have become <laughs> it's a it's and, hard to tell sometimes and, and yes and and but that's some something it's what he says is about you know how you deal with with people and and societies and you know we can do the most incredible of things and at the same time become the uh, the 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 worst monster possible and all this in good conscience you know when you your question before about you know the the you know the moral monster you know when baldwin calls the whole western civilization uh, a, a sort of moral monster because they went into countries colonized them or they uh, invented slavery somehow they use it uh, with totally uh, good conscience right they, the, it's, it, it's, and he goes on to talk about how if only the people that were enjoying this you know quote unquote freedom yes knew how many lives it cost yeah to 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 sustain it and create it so that that's uh, so the the western civilization uh and and it's also the reaction of let's say the winner the winner decide about the narrative right so <laughs> right. and and we have been in a very eurocentric world uh, for for several centuries now right so right. and and in being that uh, we forgot, or they forgot, that there are other realities, and you know, you when you get to write the narrative, you decide who is the good guy and who is the bad guy. Right, and then they, there was that point where, in the way you structured the film, when it, 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 towards the beginning, where they thought that vengeance was theirs to take because they had the moral high ground, exactly, which exactly. was you know at times genocidal. Yes, yes, yes. So when you were in Germany, is that where you went to film school? Yes, I, I went to Berlin. In fact, I, I went. You know, I never had in mind to become a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, coming from Haiti, uh, this is not something serious you do as a living. You yeah, know, uh, sure. My parents, you know, of course, you're going to be an engineer, and so I chose something that was in between. Uh, you know, there was a new diploma uh, called you know uh, industrial engineering. So it was part engineering and part economy. So the mixture of the both, that's something that seems appealing to me. And <laughs> yeah, I knew yeah. I could work in all kinds of sure. industries. So that's what I went to study in Germany, in Berlin. And I, I did those studies. It's a very long because it's a double study. You know, yeah. I spent seven years studying. Uh, I finished. I, I got my diploma and my master's. And I started a PhD for development policies. And... Th- Two years into that um, that uh, PhD, uh, my my uh, thesis father died in a car accident, 
And parallelly, I was already working with friends on, you know, I was uh, making photos for yeah. different uh, German magazines, oh, and yeah. newspapers. Uh-huh. I would do interview. Berlin is a very an incredible cultural city. Yeah. You know, you have the biggest film festival, biggest jazz uh, festival, theater festival. So I would usually try to have interviews or photo of, you know, artists coming from Latin America, from Africa, from the whole third world. And so that's how I met a lot of those people, great artists over the years. And uh, so that was a kind of job I had, but it was my way to be uh, in cultural circle all the time. Yeah. And at that point, you know, I went to back to New York because my girlfriend at the at the time was a, a filmmaker and she had a contract in New York, so I went with her. I work as a taxi driver in New York, and but of course, journalists made it. You know, he was a taxi driver and became a filmmaker. No, that's not. Uh, yeah. I don't have that mythology. It's right. just, I just needed a job that I could right. leave. You know, yeah, anytime yeah, yeah, I yeah. wanted. Right. And while I was thinking about my next step, you know, so basically during that that time, I I decided really to say, well, I really want to make film. And in order to make it on a solid uh, basis, I need to go back to film school. So I passed the exam to to the Berlin Academy, which was a very selective school. Uh, They took only 18 students a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a very complicated, uh, you know, exam. Uh, over you know uh, several weeks. What is oh really? What is it? What part? What does it do? Like what are the well? Uh, you you had tests? first of all you had to bring you know a lot of pile of works that you you have done like uh, photographs or photograph. Film? They uh-huh. give you well. There is usually a thematic, uh-huh. and you need to do like a, a photo shoot about that thematic. You need to write a scene uh, using that thematic. Uh, you need to do a sort of report. Wow. You know, a sort of documentary yeah. report. They mean so business. Are, yeah, yeah, there are many layers. In fact, it's more to see what are your capabilities on different level. Right. You know, it's not like there is a particular profile to be a filmmaker. Right. They just want to see, you know, how do you fare uh, among all these different, uh, you know, sure. things. They and, want to get and, a sense of your creativity exactly, and your capability. Exactly. How, how do you transform a content into images or into a story. Right. So so it's very competitive and and it's it's great. Uh, it was a great exam and it forces you also to discover who you are. You know mm-hmm. because you can't really cheat. You you, yeah. you need to be yourself right. and, and put something you can't on bullshit the page. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. you need to put your your belly on the yeah. page, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and uh, be naked mm-hmm. basically. And uh so and then once you get in, you know, it's one of the best school because you don't pay anything you know it's state funded uh-huh. uh, you have money to make your film and it's uh, the training is you learn by making films sure so and and how 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 long is that program it's a four-year program so you really got four, in oh yeah really no, it, it was dug you know, in. yeah it, and it was in fact within two years i had already written a screenplay and which i submit to german television and what was, was that about? Um, it was uh, uh, my first story about a young Haitian poet who is living in Brooklyn, New York, and who was arrested in Haiti and tortured. And and he met uh, one of those torturers, a former military, in the streets of Brooklyn. 
Wow. And and then he started looking for him for, to get revenge. So, but it was more more an occasion for me to talk about this immigration, Haitian immigration, who had left Haiti uh, because of the, the dictatorship, uh, and because it was a long dictatorship. At one point, some of the people who were themselves uh, murderers or torturer got out, got out uh, as well, and and then they would confront in the streets of New York. That happened. That those are real stories. Yeah, those are I know people who who were you know confronted to somebody who had put them in prison there was a couple of mass immigrations like yeah. very dramatic yeah. on boats and yeah yeah well that that came later that yeah. was you know uh, another step up uh, in in the dramatic development of of Haiti but but that's something uh, you know i have friends from chile or from brazil or from nicaragua who had gone through those same experience you coming know, to and, the united states and yeah and then meet one of their former torturer that's you know? incredible and um and it's it's a weird situation because i would say so sometimes you you know you're here and you want to forget about your past you don't want to be confronted with it and then you see that this particular guy never had to come in front of a justice uh, you know trial and uh and then uh, you know the 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 traumatic sure uh, and he probably you know, fled because his life was in danger of then. course of course you know that's what that kind of regime do you know yeah. they use you and then when they don't need you anymore yeah you you know you're out you're thrown out or in jail know, or in jail or killed oh it's a it's, it's so like right from the get-go you you know because of your life and because of your experience which is you know unique to to situations like that you, you know the, these films were conf you know they were getting into it I mean, you weren't, you know, making entertainment. No, that's that's <laughs> one of the thing. I came to movie because of politics and because of my engagement. You know, it was, you know, I I, I told you I went to film school. I think yeah. I was twenty six already, so yeah. I was already an adult. Right. So I knew why. You know, it was not just I want to make you to tell story, work yeah. with actors, yeah. etc. It was about, you know, how do I can how can I be of some use to my society or wherever I was living and it was always about going back home right you know it's I study in Berlin but knowing that at some point I will have to go back to Haiti and fight you know undercover or with you know some organization that exists without there. a doubt you without oh yes oh yes the generation before me by the way went back to Haiti and they were all killed because what we didn't know at the time is that the CIA knew about that, and they uh, got the, the, uh, gave the information to the regime. Because uh, the Duvalier was supported by the American, by every American administration, because it was a sort of bulwark against communism. Uh -huh. So they would uh, prefer to have a dictator that is on the side. Right. Than to have anything that sounds socialist or communist, so it 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 was a very hard time. So I never thought that I was going to stay in Germany or in Europe. It was always about going back home. Don't forget, uh, I was in film school in eighty three, and the dictatorship uh, lasted until nineteen eighty six. So uh, my goal was to go back, and like the goal of many of my friends. It was always to go back home, whether you were Haitian or Chilean or from Nicaragua or from Turkey to fight. or from Iran. However you, know, you can. Yeah, yeah, it was about you know going back and serve. And that's interesting that you know James Baldwin 
you know, struggled with that decision. It, yes. it was it was not innate to him to you know once he fled America for for personal and political reasons and 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 spent all that time in France and really became who he was. That yeah. there was it seemed in the film there there was a reluctance that that eventually became no choice. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know, and and you never can totally renounce to where you come from, to where you grew up, yeah. or to where, you know, the first smell you had, the first ice cream you had. Yeah. All those are important memories in your life. So when you are forced to leave your country, and that's to come to the refugee crisis here, or crisis they call, yeah. Uh, you know, nobody wants to leave his hometown. You yeah. know, even, you know, here we are a country of immigrants. You know, but why is it we have little Italy, we have Chinatown? Yeah. It's because you still have that cultural link and that somehow emotional link to wherever you come from. Forever, yeah. Yeah, forever. And and so when Syrian uh, uh, refugees are coming, it's not because some of those people, they were happy in their country. Yeah. You know, even when they didn't have much money, but it was their country. It was yeah. their place of birth. And so to suspect them or the Mexican, you yeah. know, it's whatever is going on right now is really unacceptable. You know, yeah. we are uh, witnessing, you know, fascistic uh, uh, attitude toward other human beings, you know, women, men, children. You know, you it's like you put a stamp on them as they are criminals. And even the language you use, you know, I remember hearing those language before a genocide in yeah. Rwanda or uh, the Nazi genocide, you know, because that's the first thing, you, the first step you take when you want to kill an enemy, you start giving him names. And then those names transform themselves into NSEC name. And once they are at that stage, you know, from bad hombres, the next step is to say they are, you know, rats. Right, and then you can kill rats. Yeah, you know the this type of of uh, words using, you know, the rhetoric of that. This is a rhetoric of of genocide. You yeah, know, those side. I don't think we would get to that point here in this country because, first of all, there is resistance. Yeah, uh, there are institutions, but still, the mindset it's, you know, yeah. can do a lot of damage. Well, it's it's terrifying, and that you know that you know in the film. There, there's a moment where, you know, Baldwin is talking about, you know, what people, uh, you know, are reacting to with that hate is is something in their own mind. Yes, yes. It's not the real, it's not the person. It's not the reality. It's it's the need to have that yeah. hate. It's a, a construction in their own mind. Yeah. Yes. Because... You know, I can, like, like he said in the film, you know, I, I grew up, I, I never realized that, you know, w what does it mean black? Yeah. You know, you, you don't wake up and look at you and say, I'm black. You know, you're just a human being. You know, you go to school, you have friends. You, yeah. You know, I had friends of multiple color, multiple nationality, but, uh, you know, it's it's not the criteria I use to have friends or not. It's, yeah. You know, I'm f your friend because we hit it together and we have something in common. But it's uh, it's it cannot be our, our, the color of our skins. Right. And so when you start working on uh, I'm Not Your Negro, this is a decade of work because it seems like some of the thoughts that you're talking about, you know, just what was the moment where you're like, this is the the man whose words in life that I can run these you know feelings I have through. 
Well, it's, I was very lucky to have read Baldwin when I was 17 or 18, so very early age. And when you can see a problem from the distance, yeah. you always have a better position, yeah. you know, because you're not uh, totally in the, uh, you know, anger of that moment or that place. Right. Uh, the same thing Baldwin had, you know, going to Paris for him was, you know, he understood his country better from the perspective of being in Paris. And in Paris, he understood that suddenly people were looking at him first as an, um, an American and then as a black person. Yeah. Because in Paris, you had, uh, you know, black American, but you had black African, you have black uh, Caribbean people. And for a French person, they are not equal. They are not the same. Yeah. So when you come as an American, suddenly, you know, you are somebody else. They see you as... Uh, uh, an American, like they see Hemingway as an American, right? You know, the yeah, question, yeah, yeah. you know, is not you know you are black. I mean, so it's it's more uh, you know complex than that. So right. being elsewhere give you a, it's like you are on the top of a mountain. You can look down and have a bigger picture of whatever is going, and you can see the complexity. Yeah, and it gives you some structure. And you to, were able to, to see that yeah. from living all these places simultaneously. Exactly. So when I read Baldwin the yeah. first time, it it was it just blew my mind because suddenly what I had felt intuitively uh, in my seventeen, eighteen year old um, brain was suddenly very structural, very analytic, and very poetic from Baldwin. I was he was explaining to me what I felt intuitively but could not really uh, 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 express what was the first thing you read uh, the the fire next time uh -huh. that was uh, you know that book was important and and really because he Baldwin did one thing is that he just said this is who I am I take a stand and then the problem is you you need to find your your place I know who I am I know where I belong so and I don't let you define who I am. Yeah. And and this particular society, because it's a letter to his nephew, you know, and he's explaining to his nephew who he is, uh, the nephew, and in what world he is, and what he will have to confront all his life. But he's telling him, yes, it's going to be hard, but don't forget, you are a, a human being. And don't let people define who you are. And you're going to live through things that you can't imagine that uh, are not, uh, uh, you know, doesn't make sense. But you need to keep your sanity and understand that it's a particular society that, that is like that. And you have a particular history. And you need to know at every moment who you are and face that society. Right. In the film, he says the history is not the past, it's the present. Exactly. Because yeah. you, you were brought here by it. Exactly. And, and you need to confront it every day. We are the product of our history. And, and he also said that all of us, we share that same history. There is no black history and white history. This is the history of America. And we need to face our respective role in that history. And we need to take responsibility for our roles, our respective roles. That's the only way, the only uh, uh, form that we can uh, uh, take to solve all our problems and to construct a future for both of us. So when you say it takes 10 years, because I notice that the structure of the film 
it's it, you know it's it's thoughtful and it's 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 very deliberate. You're constantly going up against you know mediated images or, or, or fictional images through film, television, of of the black person and the white person in this country because film and and television you know dictate uh, somehow and 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 uh, kind of structure uh, our misrepresentation of reality. Well, because film and images are ideological, uh, you know, uh, grounded. Yeah, they are. They're not innocent. Right. You know, anything you watch on TV or on the uh, theatrical theater screen is full of uh, very particularly thoughts or image of a society or prejudice. Or, uh, you know, it defines who you are. It defines who women are. Uh, you know, who, what is the interaction between men and women? How do you treat children? How do you treat rape, etc.? Or do you treat violence? Yeah. So a film or, you know, transporting all of that. And But most of us don't know how to read those different layers. Right. We take it for granted. Right. And then James Baldwin yeah. read it. And of course, and yeah. James Baldwin not only read it, but he deconstruct that, yeah. uh, what film is. Yeah. That's a, he's giving us a really uh, a lesson of the construction of what images are. In the particular when, as a black uh, person, that you don't see your images on the screen. You know, you don't see yourself as a real person on the screen. Now he had it have changed a little bit. You you can see you know real yeah. great black characters in in TV and movies and uh, television series who have been very uh, uh, good at that uh, uh, recently. But still, uh, you know, the whole uh, ideology uh, package that goes through film and don't forget American cinema is the dominant cinema throughout the world so I grew up even in Haiti uh, you know from four yeah. to eight watching American film you know my African or Congolese friends they also seem saw the same John Wayne Western sure or Tarzan yeah and we knew as young boys that this is not totally reality because Listen, uh, that yeah. white guy killings, you know, all the engines somehow, this is uh, somehow aerial. By the way, we could be the engines in sure. that story. Yeah, you knew so, that early yeah. on. And yeah. yeah, and then I remember very vividly, you know, the first time you started to see black characters in Hollywood movies and you could basically time at how many minutes the black character would get killed. Right, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like, uh, you know, you know the first 10, 15 minutes, the guy, he's <laughs> going to get killed. Right. And then it, it took longer, you know, as as time passed, you know, you, you had black character who survived the whole movie and, and could even be in the happy ending, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's changed. Yes. That's <laughs> so the the movie is a, like the, 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 the half-finished or not even half-finished book, um, Remember This House, is about... Him uh, about James. Well, well, those were notes, by the way. It's not a, not a even finished the... manuscript. It's it's really notes, thirty pages of notes uh, that he that somehow tried to summarize what he the wanted book to do was going to be. And so he's now like this is in the late seventies. So he you know he's written you know, many many books, and this and you feel that this is something that's been you know at the core of his soul. What what do you feel that he was looking to? Well, it, it was uh, a very complicated and painful process for him. He knew, you know, to go back, you know, writing that book means I would have to go back to the South 
and meet Marilyn Evers and meet the widow of Malcolm X and meet the children who are no longer children, etc. Yeah. That's that's for me that that gave me the story. Yeah. This is the story. You know, what it meant for that man to go back that journey. And so it gave me the opportunity to go back to that yeah. journey myself and to find everything he had written about it. You know, the the film was... The, you draw from the, a lot of sources? Yes, yes, uh, of course. The film is, is full of different sources. One of the major sources was a book uh, called The Devil Finds Work, where it, which is a collection of James Baldwin essays on film. Yeah. He is one of the major film critics of this country uh, because not only he, he, he could review films and books, by the way, but also he... He did it in a way where he could he delivers you also the instrument of analysis. He didn't just make you know like usual critics made like sure. a very realistic critic, but he gives you the historic perspective. Right. He gives you the ideological perspective and the political one. What does it mean? You know, when he he may he write a critics about the defiant ones. You know, the film with uh, Tony Curtis and yeah. Sidney Poitier. You know, being chained. He used it to explain uh, what he calls, you know, the source of the white man hate and the source of the black man hate. And he compared those two hates. Right. So he goes into a very, uh, you know, society analysis. Real, real criticism. You know, using the yeah. film. And, and so this is profound. And so that's why those those essays are so strong. They are much more than just film essays, right? They're a complete uh, intellectual investigation. Exactly. Well, that well that's that was throughout the film, your film. Yeah. That you know you start with very current footage. I imagine from Ferguson to almost present that you know problems exist. This yeah. is not the past, and then you know you go into the heroes uh, section. You know, after a little, uh, uh, you, you know, establishing, and you know, and and that goes right into film, you know, in into the idea that, and also into the three men you're about to and, talk and about, and how he was introduced to film, to yeah. images, and to to the absence of his own images on that screen, or the absence of the images of his father, right, on, on the screen, right, and then, and but then that evolves to that point where the only one that he could maybe accept as a real black character was the the custodian in that film i don't know what the film was with the and he really talks poetically about the fear in his face and that predicament yes. somehow that was like well that 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 has depth well that, that's exactly that i think what a lot of uh, minorities blacks and and also women you know we had to find our real self in films sometimes in just a, a small pieces piece of the film yeah sometime in the case of baldwin that was this face yeah you know that's the way you would experience your own narrative in those films it's like almost like stealing an image or stealing a scene from a whole movie and try to make that piece yours right but the the, the profound thing about that moment and especially at that time after you know he's moved through you know, these black and white uh, silent films, Uncle Tom's Cabin, and, and then the, the sort of the dancing uh, Joan Crawford as being exactly. some indicator that, you know, people seem to have fun and, and he had not put uh, black or white onto it. But that moment in that film that connected with him was a moment of fear, just terror yeah. of that man. Yeah. And he was like, that, that seems because like... Because it's a, a terror he have seen. Yeah. 
he have seen people you know for for a young boy to you know that's something that uh, many young kids in the south have seen is the incredibly painful moment where your father or your uncle uh, who have authority upon you and who is raising you and suddenly in the face of violence from outside has to behave like a little boy himself and when you witness that it's very hard to you know to feel that your father to be proud of your own father or to feel taken or, care of of feel taken care of and it's this terror is 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 really traumatic yeah and and that kind of situation happen uh, in many ways and 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 it's by the way it's it's not only a black thing it sure. happened in a working uh, you know white worker situation where sure. you know suddenly your father who is a janitor or whatever has has to bow uh, in front of his boss yeah and 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 when you witness that as a little boy it's traumatic yeah because it changed your view of your own parents. Yeah. And so Baldwin was always very good at at feeling those moments of seeing them and describing them. And also he was able to expand it, you know, uh intellectually and I and I think uh you know succinctly to an entire group of people. Yes. That you know that how they fit into the society. That you are unable there's another theme throughout the film that you know how do you become a man if yeah. you are treated like that? Yes. Yes, and 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 in fear yeah. that you you know how how can you concentrate to become a man when you know every step can be a danger can uh, you know cost you your life you know and and we are still living that in the present you know yeah. when imagine when a parents have to you know you you give your car for the first time to your teenage uh, you know boy or girl yeah. and the first thing you have to tell in case you are stopped by the police don't do anything stupid don't move obey the order and you you yeah. basically giving him a, a recipe for terror yeah you know you're not educating your 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 children you're telling him this is a dangerous world so be careful yeah. all the time yeah never let go yeah and this is a terrible situation and people forget that millions and millions of people uh, go through that every day in this particular country yeah and the the second uh heading was witness and that was I found that that was very interesting right at the beginning this is when he goes back to the states and he's going on, he's going down south he's becoming involved in the civil rights movement and there's that that thing he said about the the line between a witness and a, a perpetrator or and a, an actor and an actor yeah. is very blurry yes but it is there but he, he what he met also by that is you know uh, there was a discussion at the time about you know it's either you are an artist or you are an activist you know and you had to choose you know and there were critics in the in particular in the literary world uh, who would say you know uh, once you start to write uh, about a current issue uh, you're not a writer anymore you are a journalist or you are uh, you know uh, uh, somebody who who do news but not art yeah. and baldwin was torn between those two positions and i think he found an extraordinary form to escape from that and and when you read his book today they are very precise they are very analytic but at the same time they are written in a language that is extraordinary yeah 
Baldwin invented a way to write about America and uh, the rhythm, the music, the words, you know, between preacher and and uh, um, ethnologist and, uh, you know, and the way he, he used uh, his humanism to describe a human being, etc. Yeah. This is exceptional. People yeah. tend to take it for granted. At the time, he invented a genre, basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, people like Tony Morrison or in Depeche, she Tony said, you know, he he gave me a language uh, that I thought that was so beautiful. I thought it was my own. Yeah, and, and, and he and, speaks it too. That you, you know, when he put just to, the time that he puts into putting a thought together. Yeah, and and to, and seeing it all the way through in this very poetic and powerful way is 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 I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And and I, in fact, uh, doing all these interviews since the film uh, um, opened, I realized that you know I, I I started by saying, well, you should read Baldwin, and then I I thought, no, in fact, you should study Baldwin. Yeah, we well, like, have to in the sense of you know Bible study. Yeah, like you take a paragraph in the Bible and yeah. you speak about it, and you have a whole philosophical discussion. That's the way we need to deal with Baldwin because it's so rich. Every sentence, you right. know, I remember the, the books I, I, you know, starting working on the project, I went back in my library and, and found my old Baldwin books that I have everywhere I live. And, and then I realized that almost everything was on the line, you <laughs> yeah. know, from the first Dif- page. At to different the, points yeah, in your life. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, that's how, how much time, how, how, how much that happened, you know. Yeah. You read any, any other book, you know, there is one place where you have a few notices. Right. Know, and, but Baldwin, you can underline the whole book. Yeah. And, and sometimes it happens over years. Oh yes, like, of know, course. Different you, colors. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I that's why I went back to it because you know I recently in the last six months I, I have not read a lot of Baldwin, but somebody sent me the clip of that debate at Oxford, you know, uh, and I'd never seen it before, and you know I've read things that I have to go back and reread over and over again, and I watched that. I watched him sort of spontaneously generate these incredibly expansive and well thought out argument around race. And and I was like, what what is that mind? You know, and I had to watch it, you know, three times. Exactly. Just to Because you can't follow really. You, you, it's, it's like, oh my God, I, can, I I need to understand that really or listen to it right. again. It's happening it's, on so many levels. Yeah. And you don't have time to recover. Right. <laughs> you know? No. It's like he's hitting you yeah. Again and again and again. And he did that all the time, even on yeah. those Cavett interviews, even when he was just saying something that was relatively succinct. Yes. The, the depth of it and, and how it's going to hit you as it integrates into your own mind and soul is like, whoa, it, it's, it's daunting. And I think that what you did a great job in the, in the film doing was that, you know, the way you laid things out and the, the examples you used from film, TV, interviews, you know, really elucidated you know the points he was making and and in and engaged you visually in in uh, examples of of what was trying to be said yeah. and 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 sadly the there there is no good conclusion <laughs> it, yeah. it, that well well the conclusion somehow is you know uh, what he said at one point you know this is the reality uh i i lay out the whole reality in front of you uh there is no other way around now the question of the future is your response. What do you do with that? 
you know he confront us with that you know this is it these are the elements yeah what do you do are you ready to take responsibility for that you know that one single history we are part of this same history they are not two different history yeah and we have done several things we are we were actors in it so and and that's why for me the 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 movie is about now you know yeah it's the same situation what do we do you know we cannot pretend to be innocent there is we are not in a innocent time anymore you know we know all we need to know whoever or, or we are black or white or chinese native american women we know our history if if we don't that's the other line we are moral monster because we cannot pretend 2017 that we still don't know how the world is run that we don't know our history that we don't know that this country was built on two genocide and that we need to deal with it it's not about punishment it's not a, about re, re, reparation it's about knowing because knowing is already is the beginning of change knowing in moral terms and in moral terms and also in reality yeah. knowing the facts right. knowing the numbers you know when you say let's make america great again what does it mean in that sentence alone there are at least 20 mistakes 20 mistakes and of course you don't have the time to rebut every single piece of that phrase which doesn't make sense which is idiotic and and a manifest of ignorance and not only that of ignorance but he takes you for an ignorant and that's terrible 2017 to be able to say a phrase like that is to erase the history of America and the influence of America throughout the world you know in bad and good times you know what does it means it means nothing so uh it's it's important to to come back to reality you know not reality shows right but to come back to reality and and i think uh, baldwin that's the strength of baldwin is to to make us face that reality and and he speak to each one of us that's that's what i i have seen those last two months with with going on the road with the film is that the audience whether you black or white you are confronted with yourself you know I think baldwin that's true. Yeah. talks to you directly yeah. in a very a friendly but direct way he doesn't antagonize antagonize you uh, he doesn't accuse you of anything it tells you this is the element yeah pick your side yeah where are you on the spectrum exactly. of ignorance exactly exactly also yeah you know where you know what what have you said to yourself that comforts you into thinking that you're doing enough exactly exactly yes because that's the that's you, you know you've got hate and you've got a way to compartmentalize that and decide it's not you and then you've got this whole other thing which is like you know like yeah i'm not that way all right so that what's the next step uh I, you know I'm, i you know i i i love all people you know <laughs> but the, yeah. but yeah, see that was the, the 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 daunting thing for me is that like you know is anybody doing enough yeah. uh in in these moments and, and and what it's taken you know who the hell knows what's going to happen here yeah but yeah. you know a lot of people certainly woke the fuck up yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the reality. We it's like somehow we we went in a sort of intellectual lethargy, you know, yeah. and I call it once in an interview is like the gentrification of the minds. Mm. It's like we got lazy. 
those yeah. uh, you know even after the civil rights movement where you know we built monument for Martin Luther King and not for Malcolm X by the way yeah but uh, and then like everything is solved and uh, and when we take the numbers that's the thing when you come back to reality you take any numbers you know the amount of people in prison the amount of uh, you know young black or latino kids who grow up without the parents and why the drugs numbers etc why are you know drugs that black or poor people take is hit more uh, you know gravely than yeah. you know the white or middle class white yeah. uh, uh, drugs or not you know all those things you know take any type of numbers and statistic the reality will hit you hard and also there's and the you know discussion of class that never happens here exactly that's because that's the big elephant in the room because you have this you, you know you certainly have drug epidemics now that that you know are somewhat systemically hitting all types of people and you know that that yeah the elephant in the room well the the inequality in this country right we are now in a time of extreme concentration of wealth in the hand of a minority yeah and we just hand in power to that minority and we just accept that and we have an incredible concentration of poverty in this country, the richest country on earth. And, you know, I, I, I always wondered, you know, how do people react if you put those numbers in front of them? You know, don't you take an, any consequence out of that? You know, that those are the numbers that Oxfam published a, a few weeks ago, you know, saying that eight individuals not 8% of the population, eight persons own more or as much as 40% of the poor population, of the population of this country. Eight individuals. You know, you're talking trillions. Yeah. You know, how does that happen? And this has consequences to everybody, you know, to the way the press work, you know, the concentration of the press, you know, that... A few billionaires own all the press, meaning all the information we get, you know, and journalists are not that free, you know, they are less free than they were 40 years ago. And it's it's a whole chain of consequence, yeah. you know, and of brainwash as well. You yeah. know? And people, you know, when you push consumption to people, you know, you push, you know, and on all level, uh, consumption of uh, uh, reality shows, consumption of electronics in your life, consumption of everything. You can just make a call, phone call and get it to your house. You can order pizza, you can order. So it basically, it creates a generation of people on car, couch. Even your friendship, you well, can yeah, do I it mean, electronically. And, and Baldwin sort of, pre- you know, he said that about TV is, is a narcotic. Yeah. Has a narcotic effect. Exactly. He said the, the entertainment industry remind him of the use of narcotic. And he wrote that 50 years ago, at a time where there, there were only three Free national networks. Network. Yeah. So imagine what it meant today. You know, that means you could see those effect and impact 50 years ago. He could. He could, yes. <laughs> and, and, and you imagine where we are today. Well, know? that's the, the fascinating thing, too, is that this, a lot of this stuff he said that long ago. And it is exactly 
the, the same and, uh, and 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 also more sophisticated in some ways in a lot of analysis of it currently. Oh, yeah. He but, saw the truth of it. Yeah. And one aspect because it's it's a matter of education as well and but also even when you went to college it's it's hard for you sometimes to 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 see through what happening. You know, the the example now. I saw the time when television and radio station became very partisan and where now even network like CNN would have, you know, the, the guy from the left, the guy yeah. from the right, the, the right, and then the journalist in the middle, he's not, you know, he's not taking any side anymore. There is as if there is no truth. Right. You know, just both positions have the same quality. Yeah. So that's what leads us today to to have one side, a scientist who worked 40 years of his life on climate change, and on the other side, you have some guys who just decided that climate change don't exist. And those two positions are considered equal. Right. That's that's where we are today, you know? Yeah. And that's that's just incredible, you know? Right, and what gets lost there is the truth and the urgency of what is really happening. Yes. Yeah. Well, we don't. We don't know that now. People are putting in doubt everything. Yeah. You know, nobody has credibility. In fact, the 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 loudest you are, the the most credible you are, apparently. And I think that's like in in terms of the film, when it comes around to what we're talking about now and this sort of you know rabbit hole of hopelessness and panic you can get into around it, which I experience daily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that Baldwin brings it back to human. Yes, and he shows you that you can do something about it. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. But I, I see people say the film gives them energy because they just realize, well, I can understand that and I can do something about it. It's just about me deciding to give a response to that because on the bigger picture, it's simple. It's, it's, it's clear. You know, there is no confusion you know, we are not idiot. We are not ignorance. You know, there is a way to understand what's going on now. You know, you just step back a little bit and watch the bigger picture. And that's what Baldwin gave us. He, yeah. He gave us a 50 years picture and where we say, oh, my God, this is what, in fact, that's where we are. And and then you can react because yeah. it doesn't seem like this huge mountain of ignorance in front of you. You know, how do you start a discussion when you have to, again, I don't want to quote uh, uh, our current president, uh, you know, make America great again. Yeah. You know, you at some, you know, you don't need to go into that to have to explain it. You just yeah. reject it. You, 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 you don't lose your time to go into that kind of discussion. So that's what Baldwin gives you, you know, step back, you know, and, and, and then you can see what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And don't lose your time on the stuff that you're being bombarded with and that make no sense, you know? Yeah. And that's big part of our day, you know? The amount of tweet, Facebook, of, of reality shows, you know? Why would I indulge in the crazy daily life of a, a group of men or women buying stuff, buying merchandise? You know, my life cannot be that, you know, as a human being. 
It's not about, you know, how many cars I have or how many new clothes I have or, you know, how many, uh, uh, you know, new house I rebuilt, all that. Yeah. It's like just material to fold your brand and, and take space. It just takes space. I know. You know, yeah. there was a scandal in France a few years back where the, the head of the French biggest uh, um, private TV, TF1, in an interview, he just said, you know, my job is to bring uh, uh, films and shows on on my channel so that you don't need to thank anymore, but you just need to buy Coca-Cola. You know, he said it plainly. He's being honest. And he's being yeah. honest. <laughs> you know, he was not even cynical. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, it's working. You know, it's working. Sure. And it's, you know, it's even deeper than that. It's like, and now it's about not just buying Coca-Cola, it's about you know, buying an ideology that you can use as reality. Again, it's, it's, it's yeah. what Baldwin said, that it's, it's, it's giving you what you need to hate in your head exactly, without yeah. having going outside. Like the other thing that I started here was he said, people who say they care don't. They care about their, their, their safety and their profits. Exactly. That's big. That's, that's uh, right there, a Marxist analysis oh, of, yeah. of our society. Yeah, you know, which is a society built on profit, and uh, and that means profit invade every place in your life, in your active in action, and that's one line that the young Marx uh, wrote. You know, like in the capitalist society, even human relationship becomes a relationship of merchandise. You know, and and when you look at your own relationship, sometimes. Where you take decisions because of merchandise, because of money, or because of interest. This is what we have become. So we've lost our emotional, moral, and um, psychological compass. Yeah, yeah. And more and more because we just don't have the space anymore in it's our being brain. It's taken up. Yeah. We how, how, how many times we can have the proper time to sit and read a book? Or you to know. spend time with other people, to do what oh, me and you just did. Exactly. Well, yes, that was a real, you know, that, this is something I miss, you know, in, yeah. in the media, you know, to really be uh, sitting with a real person and have a, a, you know, conversation without having to sh cut your thoughts. Right. Because we are complex. Yeah. We are today living in a very complex society. So there is no straight answer. You know, I like when somebody, they ask you, okay, Tell me your life in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, no, my life cannot be reduced in a nutshell. Well, that's that's interesting because as complex as it is, and as that is driven by you know guiding people either for profit or for uh, you know brainwashing or for you know competing illusions, is that you know people? I think this is one of the the, the byproducts is that they get overwhelmed. And they need it simplified. Exactly. And it's not simple. It's not. It's never. Life is not simple. Right. But people together, talking together, you know, like that. See, that's my biggest fear now is that the polarization is so profound that, you know, how, 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 how do we do it as people? Yeah. No. What do we do no. now? But th that's why uh, Baldwin, you know, give us the chance to set back a little bit, take a little bit of distance, see it historically. Don't see, you know, what happened uh, the last election. See what have been happening the last 50 years. And then you will understand where you are now.
Yeah. You know, if you explain Donald Trump by just explain the campaign, you will not understand anything. But if you understand that Donald Trump came way back from Reagan, sure, that when they start deregulating, de when they start breaking the unions, etc., yeah. etc., et this is what brought us here. And there have been other Donald Trump throughout the world. Yeah. So it's it's not a new model. You know, there was a guy named Berlusconi in Italy. Yeah. That is the perfect, uh, you know, copy of Donald Trump. Billionaires, uh, authoritarian, uh, a lot of ignorance, uh, hater, divider. And they finally got rid of him, you know. And it took time. He did a lot of damage. But Italy have, you know, came back to a better place today. So we shouldn't be afraid of anything. You know, we are this country. So the most difficult part is to sit down with the other one and, and have, you know, a conversation and decide that we can change a lot of things together. And that, of course, that's not a simple pr uh, process. There are no recipe. There are no shortcut. And this is something that we lost. And when Baldwin gives you the whole list of what it took to organize the civil rights movement, you know, it was about learning. It was about sitting together and have meetings. It was about raising money. It was about finding allies. You know, everybody was in the movement, not just black. Uh, you had the unions, you had the uh, churches, you have the Jewish organizations, you have the youth organi of organizations. And this, this was a huge coalition. And it took time, it took passions, not only anger. And that's something that today we, we voice our anger. But then what do we do? And you also know? now, like because of these disembodied voices of persistent psychic terror, you know, through, through platforms that are disengaged from human uh, beings in a way and are redundant in their hate. Uh, you know, how one, there was a, a moment in the film where he talks about the exhaustion that, you know, you, you have to figure out a way to continue fighting so yeah. you don't get exhausted. Exactly, exactly, because they get you tired. They get you tired. Yeah. And so the question is always, how do I put my energy and what is fundamentally important oh. and not the side battle, you know, and because they are presenting to us an upside down world. So to put it in the right order, it takes a lot of energy and you need everything to, you know. And so uh, that's the it, an incredibly complicated situation now because at some point you need to give response to those daily attacks. You know, you need to show the disinformation. You need to prove that those numbers are not the real numbers, etc. And but at the same time, you have to find the space to step back a little bit and to see the bigger picture and to strategize on the uh, middle and long term right and also that's where the fight should be but now because of these you know sort of echo chambers and bubbles that you know the you know for me or you to 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 figure out that something isn't true or real uh, may not have any bearing you know on the people that that fundamentally see the country as a different thing almost entirely than we may yeah 
But what does it mean? It means that we need to talk with them. I know. We need to talk with them because it's not about good or bad people. No, I know. You know, know. people react to to whatever they are going through and, and their economical situation in this country determine a lot. You know, I, I don't want to quote Marx again, but this is where it comes from. You decide, you know, your conscience is different if you have a job or if you don't have a job. And it will determine anything you will do in the coming years. And it includes also sometimes that you don't get the right information why you lost your job. So when you have populists like Donald Trump coming and say, this is this bad woman that made you lose your job, you know, you don't always have the time to go and find out. You and know, it satisfies if, uh, an anger. Yeah, of course, of course. So we are, it's human, you know, to react to whatever you feel it makes sense to you and it's simple. You know, as you say before, you know, we like simplicity, uh, although our world is complex. Yeah. You know, and so it's about how do we get, you know, uh, you know how we we go away from this hate discourse and to try to understand why a worker who sometimes was in a union and a very progressive union suddenly feel the anger to just or to react to his anger without thinking further and to say well this guy who is selling me the car he's telling me this is the best car ever you know and yeah, why wouldn't I take a chance? Because nobody else is even telling me that. Yeah, and also they've you know? lost belief in all institutions as corruption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and just uh, you know generations of of unexplainable, but yet the explanation is there. Oh. Uh, you, you know, uh, uh, loss of jobs, poverty. You, you, you know, loss of pride, loss of yeah. ability. And, and I think there is one thing: what what we call the intelligence, meaning you know, scholars, universities, schools, and they they need to find the way back to these people as well. You know, there was a time when there was big change in society, and uh, universities were on the on the forefront. Teachers were on the forefront. Right. Scholars were in the forefront, yeah, and we lost that battle. Uh, teachers and and I know, you know, I, I taught at NYU. I taught in many other universities uh, throughout the world, and I see how academia have, you know, create another bubble. Yeah, insulated know, themselves. Insulated themselves, and you know, you you have research about the most crazy and uh you know sure. really unused type of of subject yeah you, when, ne- you never hear anyone say let's take to the streets and do some further reading yes exactly <laughs> exactly and there was time where you know when you remember the vietnam war resistance yeah. and all that you know your teachers were in the street with you yeah and then you would go back in class and discuss what is your society at the moment yeah you know do we take a stand do we accept uh, well, they're you know, trying to, you know, they, there's a concerted effort to 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 take away that dialogue. Yes, yes. yes. And well, now and it's a lot easier uh, to take away that dialogue. Yeah. All it takes is one student to go like, uh, that guy's bad. Yeah. yeah. This is anti-American. It's yeah. like that's where the language is going yeah. again. And there is one aspect we forgot, and uh, uh, why is it like this, is there have been a tremendous um, fragilization of uh, of those institutions as well, you know, when universities started to make money, yeah, 
in order not to disappear because uh, right. state funding were, uh, you know, take away from yeah. them. Now they became businesses. And now as a professor or a teacher, you know, uh, it was about, you know, I should get tenure because then economically I'm safe. Right. But uh, it's a way to fragilize also intelligence, to make them scared of losing their job. And it's the same for journalists as well. You know, a lot of part of the intelligentsia had to care for themselves first. Yeah. Taking less risk. And, yeah. and, and then you can intimidate. Their safety and whole, their profits. And their safety and their profits. That's uh, the, unfortunately, the, the human attitude in, in capitalism. You know, it's a very, that's the other thing. It's an historical uh, way of life. You know, capitalism is very specific. It's very clearly determined. The beginning of the industrial revolution that changed the, the way people communicate, the way, you know, you get jobs, the way you get paid. You know, everything is depending on that. And, and we cannot, you know, go out of it if we don't understand where it comes from. Well, thank you for talking to me. Thank you for inviting me. It was a great conversation. It I, was. It's uh, rare, and it's, it's too rare to have that kind of exchange uh, yeah. nowadays. And I appreciate it. And the movie uh, is is stunning, and you got to watch it a couple of times. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. That was an amazing conversation. It was um, uh, different in scope and tone than a lot I had, but also very. Kind of mind-blowing. And um, powerful to me. So I'm going to play some slightly maybe saddish guitar. I don't know. I don't have a plan. Redundant is probably redundant in terms of what I've played in this space before. Yeah, yeah. 